Uh, good morning, my name's Tom. Um, I was up here earlier, but if uh, you're newer to Indelible Grace Church, I'm one of the pastors along with Wade, and I do welcome you uh, to Indelible Grace Church this morning. The outline for the sermon is on, if you flip your bulletin, if you got one of these from Christy or Julie when you came in, the outline is there for you. Um, and we are in a new series starting today, and it happens to be starting in Philippians. We're looking... As Sammy already mentioned, we're sort of looking at the benefits, trying to unpack the benefits of of Christ's resurrection. Why is that really uh, important to us, and what are the benefits? And we already looked in the confession or in the catechism at um, that Jesus ascended, and we know that He's there interceding on our behalf day and night. And that's one of the things we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But in Philippians, I'll, can I have you stand again for the re- just a couple of verses in Philippians? You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, where Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject, subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask in these few moments gathered around Scripture that the gospel would transform our lives, that we would be different because of your word, by your Spirit's power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for that. So, um, we are in Philippians just today for looking at this benefit um, of the resurrection. And I have to say that when I started pastoring here uh, at Indelible Grace, Philippians was the book that I wanted to, you know, sort of do a run in myself and just preach out of because Philippians is such a beloved book and it's one of Paul's letters where he doesn't seem super agitated. Uh, because most of the epistles uh, by Paul, the letters, he's addressing churches, Corinth, the Corinthians, that are just struggling, and he just seems agitated at them. Uh, and rightly so for the church in Corinth, uh, for things that were going on. But Philippians, he this... The Philippian church was his baby. He just loved the Philippian church. They loved his ministry. They gave to him. They prayed for him. He felt super supported by them. And so you see it in all of this four chapters, this letter of Philippians. And some of our favorite scripture texts, ones that you've memorized, uh, come from Philippians. Like, for example, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians... Oh, okay. You haven't memorized Philippians. <laughs> Philippians 1, well, I have my Bible right here. Philippians 1, 6. That's right. So we, we love these verses. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain is, that's where that, it's in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This unity verse, that's Philippians 2. We love we love the verses in Philippians. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Okay, I don't really like that one so much. Um, so we, we love Philippians. Paul loved the Philippian church. This is one of the prison... I'm giving you some things, you know, the fast facts. Uh, this is one of the prison epistles. Um, one of the four, Philemon, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. Those are the letters that Paul wrote while he was under house arrest in Rome. So these get earmarked that way. And so 
I could go on about how much uh, Philippians means to the church, how much the Philippian church meant to Paul, but our text today, I want to give just a brief context before we look at why is it important that Christ rose from the dead? What are the benefits? What does it mean for us? We're going to look at it from the verses I just read in uh, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It means we have a new citizenship. We get to wait eagerly, not like the way we typically wait, and new bodies. All right, so those are the three things we're going to look at. But the context, very briefly, uh, at the top of chapter 3, which that's the verses we're in, Paul says, look out for the dogs. And I have to pause on that because I'm a dog lover. So Paul doesn't mean it for the dog lovers to look out for the dogs. Because if you say, look out for the dogs to me, I'm like, where are they? Because I love dogs so much. Um, at my gym where I work out um, up in Roseville, there uh, is a body shop next door, and he has two humongous German shepherds. They're beautiful, Lily and Trooper, and I love them. And every time I go to the gym, I have to go a little early just to spend time with Lily and Trooper. They're amazing. I love dogs. Anyone else? Okay, they're cat lovers. I get it. Um, but when Paul says, look out for the dogs, in the first century... It was a little different. I don't think there were as many dog lovers among the churches. And so what Paul is saying, there were enemies of the gospel. In fact, he says that in uh, verse 18, right before verse 20 of our text today. He says, many have become enemies of the cross of Christ. So these are the dogs. And for some reason, Paul was experiencing a lot of um, discord, people that were against him and his ministry. And so these dogs, these enemies of the cross... Uh, or what Paul's talking about. And then he shifts and says, okay, so the dogs, the enemies of the cross, but you guys, but you, Philippian church, you're not the dogs. You're not the enemies of the cross. You're actually, you're Christ's. You're his. You're new citizens of heaven. You're waiting eagerly for him and for the new bodies that you'll get. Right? So that's the context, the contrast between those who are opposing Christ and the gospel that Paul was preaching versus the church, the newness that comes in the church. So we're looking at citizenship, and I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, first of all, that I'm uh, a person who watches The Amazing Race. Anybody? It's an old show. It has 34 seasons or something like that. Like it's, we've watched the host go from like a teenage kid to like he's got grandkids now. Like it's just the progression of the show. And I, and I can understand it because almost in every single, because they try, it's an amazing race. They try, if you don't know, they're trying to win a million dollars. They travel all over the world doing crazy things all over the world. And it, and it starts in America. It's an American show. Starts in America and the amazing race ends in America. And so the teams are all over the world in all kinds of places that they would have never been. Most of them have never been before. And typically every year of the show, the teams will get back to the United States, right? After being gone for 30 days plus, and they'll be like, oh, we're back on American soil, back to where we are the citizens, you know, they, they're home. And, I have to, 
It's a little um, cringy because, you know, America doesn't have the reputation it used to, like maybe even from the beginning of the show. We don't have that reputation uh, that's great. And so when they're like, oh, Americans, you know, we've watched them over the whole season be terrible Americans across the world, being loud and all the things that Americans tend to be in other countries. But they're so happy to be stepping foot back into their own country. So there's a little bit of that in the fact that as Jesus has resurrected from the dead and has gone before us, that we're now not citizens of America, but we're citizens of heaven. And I don't know, it's it's maybe a little bit lost on us, but at some point, we're going to be stepping foot on the soil of heaven. Yeah, a soil. Um, I think... Uh, it can be lost in us, and maybe it's because of modern evangelicalism that heaven to a lot of Christians is some place that is airy and fairy-like and we float around, whereas the scriptures teach over and over again that it's a physical place. It's, it's this place that God will renew and make even better. So we'll be citizens of a heaven, a new heaven, and a new earth. But I'm going to stop right here because this is boring. This is boring stuff. It doesn't really matter about our citizenship being in heaven, about eagerly waiting, or even getting new bodies. Because you see, the thing that makes Jesus' resurrection so amazing is that he lives. And there was something about Jesus um, that when he died, it seemed like everything was lost. And again, that's a little bit lost on us because we didn't see him in his incarnate person the way the disciples did, the way Mary did, the way... People saw him and experienced him that way. I mean, of course, we have the spirit. We have the scriptures. We have the body of Christ. We're experiencing him. But the disciples, those that touched him, you know, I don't know. It. I mean, this is so cheesy probably, but um, it would be like if Jack Dawson came back to life. Is Jack Dawson... All, and anything that I know, you got, okay, Jack Dawson was in a movie, he's a character in 1997, he was in a movie called The Titanic, and he was one of the characters, fictional character, on the Titanic, and he fell in love with Rose, and they had an amazing adventure on the Titanic. Is this ringing a bell with anybody? And then, uh, just to spoil it for you, the Titanic sank... <laughs> And then Jack died. And we had spent almost three hours falling in love with Jack and Rose. And Jack died. And uh, I'll just say this. I saw that movie at the theater with my wife in 1997. We had our second child. We'd gotten a babysitter. Because that's what you do if you go out with your spouse to a movie. You get a sitter. You don't bring your kids with you. I'm serious. So when I got home, because Jack died, he floated down with the Titanic. She had to let go of him. And she lost his person. And when I got home, it was about a week of me missing him and his person and me really worried about Rose and all the. I knew she did fine. I... I was so invested. I was so invested in that character, that person, the person. And I don't know if you have somebody in your life, a person in your life. And I know it, 
it has to be our spouses, and, and absolutely, my spouse is that person. But there are obviously other people in our lives that, that impact us, that have an affect on us. If you just take a minute and think of who has had an affect on you in your life, where you're thinking if you're getting together with coffee for them, you're, you're, you're not hoping they cancel. You know, those kind of people that you're wanting to spend time with them. Like, um, I had a roommate. I had two roommates in my life. One, his name was Jay. It was my college roommate. Jay Ragsdale was his name. And uh, we were just thrown together at our university as roommates. We didn't know each other, didn't know anything. We just were thrown together. We, were, we lived together for two years. And I loved him. Like, I couldn't wait to get back from class to tell him things, to talk to him. He was a great listener, as you guys probably could get that. Um, he, he was just a phenomenal guy. His dad was a police officer. I loved hearing his stories. He was from Charleston, South Carolina. He, he was just an amazing guy. And I loved him. And then he got a girlfriend, and I got a girl. And it was, you know, we weren't together as much. But any time that we could hang out together, we af- affected each other. And then I had another roommate, his name's Tim, and um, Wendy knows Tim because we met kind of at the same time, but Tim spoke Swahili and Russian, he was a missionary kid, he wore flannel, he, he was amazing, he could do pull-ups like nobody's business, amazing guy, he, um, he had this uh, habit where if he saw somebody that was in need, he would help them, which is really annoying if I'm trying to tell him a story walking with him and somebody's in need around us, he would just leave my story and go help them. Um, we were driving from Dallas to Alabama, which is where I'm from, and we were driving together. He was taking me home, actually. And we stopped at least three times on the freeway to help people that were on the freeway, stopped on the freeway, who needed help. And he stopped for every, you know. So when I would see a car on the side of the road coming up, I would try to distract him. <laughs> hey, Tim, over here. Hey, over here. So this guy, affect, he, the affect he had on me was... So thinking of losing Jay, I mean, even though we haven't kept up so much, if Jay were here right now, I would ditch all of you to spend time with him. He had that... So what am I trying to say? I entitled this message, Get With The Program. And that's such a stupid title because it really, when, whenever you get into a program, whether it's, you know, fitness or at a church discipleship program, it's never about the program, is it? It's about the person. If you're involved in any kind of fitness program, it's because you saw a person that was in that fitness program that affected you in some way, that had an effect on you. The person, right? It's, Jesus rising from the dead means that his person, who he is, who he was, we still get to have that. And citizenship in heaven isn't about whatever we think heaven is. It's about he's going to be there. We get to be with that person. I'll get to be with Jesus Christ, this person who affected people, affected his church, us, in some of the same ways that Jay and Tim, my wife, and other people have affected us. Right? Um, so I'm not going to make a lot of, I'm, I'm not going to make a lot of other points today, but um, 
Y'all know this book I've been trying to read since January. It's right here, and I'm only right. I mean, it's so embarrassing. But um, this guy, Hans Kuhn, he writes about Jesus' person. And I'm just going to read something out of here. I should have had it marked, right? Um, he says this. And think about the person of Jesus Christ, with whom, because he lives, you will have citizenship with him. It's he, he's the one you're waiting for, and that I'm waiting for. This is the person, and Hans Kuhn, he's a a 20th century theologian, and he describes it this way. He says, women, who did not count in the first century society at the time, uh, and had to avoid men's company in public, Contemporary Jewish sources are full of animosity toward women, who according to Josephus, it's a great historian by the way, Josephus, are in every, women are in every respect inferior to men. That's according to Josephus. Men are advised to talk very little even with their own wives, still less with other women. Women lived as far as possible withdrawn from public view. In the temple, they had access only to the women's forecourt, and in regard to the obligation of prayer, they were in the same category as slaves. Whatever may be the historical status of the biographical details, the the gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had no inhibitions about speaking of Jesus' relationship with women. According to these sources, according to the gospels that we know are true, Jesus had got away from the custom of having no contact with women. Not only does he display no contempt for women, he is surprisingly at ease with them. Women accompanied him and his disciples from Galilee to Jerusalem. Personal affection for women came naturally to this strange and weird Jesus. Women attended this Jesus as he was dying and saw to his burial. The, the legally and humanly weak position of women in the society of that time was considerably upgraded by Jesus' presence and person. That's just his person's effect on women in the first century. The author here goes on. I'm sorry, that's a long piece to read. I apologize. Um, what about children? Children had no rights. Jesus, this person, Jesus, gave children preferential treatment and defended them against his own disciples. And it goes on. I mean, Jesus was a complete weirdo in his day. No way to describe his person. He affected people in such a way that when he died... There was a huge loss, and everybody that knew him wanted him back. So that they could be citizens with him, yes. So they could touch him, yes. So that they could wait on him while he talked to other people, yes. And so that they could be like him. I mean, the, the last point of... Paul saying that we'll get new bodies, these glorious bodies. Jesus rose from the dead, and Sammy alluded to it earlier. He rose from the dead and had this body. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I've been thinking about the material world a lot this week because of this text. 
a little bit. And we as Christians, and maybe I'm just behind the times, but we as the Christian church tend to be against material things. We're like, oh, we, we shouldn't be, material things are not important. We, you know, we're heavenly minded. God cares about the material things in this world. I'm not saying that every sofa you own is important. I'm just saying that, the, and so for me this week, uh, every coffee shop or any place that I've been, material girl has come on every place. Y'all don't know that song? Come on, Madonna. No? Okay. I'll try to get new, you know, I don't know. I'm going to try to get new illustrations that are like 2023. But So, you know, that's a crazy song, but she's talking about how people like things. Jesus' body uh, died and then it was raised as a new thing. And we're going to get the type of new thing that he had. This sort of thing that in John chapter 20, he shows up in a room that was locked. Like, hmm, how do you do that? And yet, he shows his hands and his feet, and his, you know, and you can touch him, or you could. He eats breakfast, you know, he, and yet he can show up. I mean, like, you try to think about this glorious body that this Jesus had, and you're like, I mean, there's not enough for us to really know. But I want it. I want it. And not only do I want that, I want that so that I can be with the person of Jesus Christ forever. So that I don't have to die again. That I can be with him forever. This person. So, here's the bottom line of all my yakety yakety yak. How can we together be more in love with the person of Jesus Christ. who This strange Christ that we've earmarked in all sorts of ways to be a moral elitist, to be some ascetic or some something. But he was the second person of the Trinity incarnate who was so crazily strange and weird that he loved women in a way that we still are losing ground on. Like Jesus Christ, his per- how can we fall in love with that person? So much so that we eagerly await him, that we want his body. Not only as we partake of it in communion, but we want the type of body he had. That we want to cling to him the way Mary did in the garden. And he's like, don't hold on to me. I got to go. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching this to you and I, it's lost on me too. I go about my day and I'm not... I'm, I'm not eagerly waiting or I'm not thinking about the new body that I could have this, that I could be with Jesus forever. I'm just thinking about my life and so that God would work in us, that he would transform us. The gospel is this. If you believe in Christ Jesus, his person, what he did, his death, his resurrection, yes, his ascension, you have a glorious hope, just like Paul says. Your citizenship is in heaven. You have a savior who is awaiting you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for coming in person so that we might know you. Thank you for giving us great hope that we're going to have new lives, new bodies, a citizenship that goes way beyond the First Amendment or any of the things we have here that are so great. But Lord, we thank, thank you that we have you. And as we partake of the sacrament, Lord, may we be able to just get a taste, by your Spirit, a taste of you. We pray it in your name. Amen.